What ho folks, I'm Lillian Crawford, a freelance film critic and historian focusing on women and post-war British cinema. Welcome to the third season of the Listen to Lillian podcast, part of my ongoing blog on Substack, through which I develop my research on my own terms. Simply go to listentolillian.substack.com to subscribe for a bumper crop of reviews, essays and feature articles. Each episode, I invite my guests to select a British film to discuss, from the silent era to recent releases. All I ask is they pick a film they think is particularly interesting in its representation of female characters or its approach to queer subject matter. For this episode, I've invited my friend Laura Benning, a film critic and writer, to join me for a chat. The film she's chosen for us to discuss is Ang Lee's 1995 adaptation of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility with an Oscar-winning screenplay by lead actor Emma Thompson. Here's the original trailer, replete with dramatic American voiceover. This year, only one motion picture will bring you all the surprises that life and love can offer. Yeah, it's full of spices. (laughs) Marianne and Eleanor, as different as two sisters can be. Do you love him? I do not attempt to deny that I think very highly of him, that I greatly esteem him. Esteem him? Like him? Eleanor is not like your media. She does not like to be swayed by her emotions. Columbia Pictures invites you. The more I know of the world, the more I am convinced that I shall never see a man whom I can truly love. To find romance. Marianne, you must change. You will catch a cold. What care I for colds when there is such a man? You will care very much when your nose swells up. You are right. Help me, Eleanor. To feel passionately. Why did you not urge him to stay? He must have had his reasons for going. I know the cruelty of dividing two young people long attached to one another. Eleanor, where is your heart? To laugh unexpectedly. Oh, if only this rain would stop. Only you would stop. (laughs) And to risk everything for someone you love. Your sister seems very happy. We know so little of him. Willoughby! (laughs) From Jane Austen's timeless classic, get ready to lose your heart and come to your senses. Academy Award winner Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Kate Winslet, and Hugh Grant. Sense and Sensibility. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Hello. I'm really well, thank you, on this very stormy afternoon. How are you? Yeah, it is indeed very stormy and it is very windy where I am. Um, hopefully the wind won't be too loud. Um, it's, I'm sort of on the corner of my building, so it's been very whistly. Um, so, yeah, it's nice <laughs> to sort of be cosy and warm and talk about wholesome film. Exactly. It feels very appropriate, especially because, you know, in Sense and Sensibility, poor Marianne nearly nearly meets her end by going out in a in a thunderstorm. So, you know, true. we have to be careful. We have to be careful. <laughs> we can't go out wondering, you know, if there's a drop of rain because you might catch a cold and, you know, that might be the end of you. It might be, you know, you suddenly your arm is covered in leeches and, oh. Actually, yeah. no. She doesn't get leeches, does she? It's, it's. I think the doctor just goes in with a with a good old fashioned right. knife. 
bleeds her arm poor thing but yeah it's a real yeah. danger could happen to any of us <laughs> yeah Jane definitely well I say Jane liked a rainy scene I think people people filming Austen's novels like like to have sort of very rainy scenes where they can get all of their very attractive actors wet <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> I feel like so many directors can't resist like turning up the kind of gothic you know romanticism a little bit um looking at you joe wright in particular but uh yeah. sense sensibility you know i believe canonically marianne has two two scenes in uh in a nasty storm but um mm. but yeah i think pride and prejudice that was that was joe wright's embellishment but we love him for it <laughs> a little bit a little bit <laughs> so yeah I, I suppose that that's a good way to start off by sort of asking you why you chose this film with with all of British cinema sort of <laughs> at your disposal um why 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 sense and sensibility 1995 <laughs> yes I yeah well I suppose I find this film interesting because well partly it's just sheer personal personal connection I saw this maybe for the first time when I was 12 mm-hmm. I think 11 or 12 very impressionable impressionable age um, it was my first introduction to Austin, I believe. Um, I I just loved the story, really got swept up in it. Um, I loved the humour. I just loved the world, the characters, everything. It really kind of, yeah, it really got me swept up into the world of the, the world of Austin and got me interested in it. And I think it's just a really interesting film because it's, it really, because it came out in the same year as the famous BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, and it really kick-started the heritage drama, costume drama trend in a big way that, that really happened in the 90s, and it has kind of had its kind of peaks and troughs ever since, but, you know, arguably has not really gone away entirely ever since then. Um and also, I think one of the other things I find I, I really enjoy about it as is as a work of adaptation. You know, I think it's it's extremely skillful as a work of adaptation in the way it is able to capture the essential kind of spirit of the novel, but really and be and be true to it in a certain sense, but also make significant change to just make it function better as a story make the characters feel more kind of emotionally in tune and more real um and I also find it interesting in that it's directed by Ang Lee who from Taiwan obviously who's had a very kind of interesting and strange career in the sort of genres that he's um worked in you know everything from Hulk's you know Life of Pi Sensibility you know it's just such he's just had such a bizarre career it's really fascinating and having someone who actually didn't speak English all that well coming in to film this incredibly English drama that has so much to do with manners and repression. It's such a bizarre kind of melding of various different things that I just think works so beautifully. And of course, it's got so many of Britain's like greatest actors are all crammed in there, rubbing shoulders. so yeah I mean yeah just various reasons but it's it's one of my all-time favorites and I think it really 
it really rewards rewatching. And it was also quite a comfort in the pandemic. It was definitely one that, that we went back to fairly early on. You know, I think, I think we hadn't even got into April 2020. We'd already watched Sense and Sensibility. Um, it's one very close to me. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I think. I'm trying to remember when. Because I, I only saw it for the first time fairly recently, a couple of years ago, maybe. I think it must have been um, during the pandemic on sort of a rainy afternoon which, which is exactly what you need for this sort of thing my 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 mum was um very frustrated with me for watching it without her um because normally we watch all Austin adaptations together because my, my mum's always loved Jane Austen and naturally I suppose I've always sort of dissented from what my parents like um so my mum would always mm. insist to me when I was a child and growing up she'd say you must read Jane Austen you'd absolutely love her, her books and stuff so I would always be like yes mum whatever um <laughs> and read literally anything but um I, I I think it was um it was only actually during during the pandemic that I finally sort of went right it's high time I started reading my mum's favorite books so I started with Wilkie Collins and um and 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 worked through started working through Austin, and um, yeah, I, I found the book of Sense and Sensibility so hard to get through. Um, yes, it was the first one I tried because I loved this film so much. And it turns out if you're twelve and trying to get into Jane Austen, it's not the one to start with. I actually I really love the story, not. but the actual writing is quite yeah. dense and quite difficult. It's not yeah, not the one to start with. Definitely. No, I <laughs> I think her other books are. I've found very readable um, and get through mm. them very quickly. Um, Sense and Sensibility, I find much harder to read. I've, I think I've tried starting and not quite finishing it many, many times. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it just doesn't engage me on the same level as some of her other books do. I cannot work out why that is. Maybe it's because it's the first one she wrote and and, and there is some sort of teething issues in there for me as a yeah, sort of yeah. basic reader I don't I don't know but it's interesting you saying about how how great the adaptation is um because I think that that's not a problem I have at all with this film um I think that Emma Thompson's adaptation is so perfect and you know she took five years to <laughs> find the right way to adapt it um and the good thing is is it's one of her shorter books so it does so you can sort of cram it in you can I mean obviously things are going to be left out but you can sort of fit it into a into a two-hour odd film whereas something like Emma um or, or Mansfield Park which is a proper proper doorstopper mm. of a book it's it's harder perhaps to to whittle that down to something that's going to come come in at under two and a half hours um which is the normal sort of length for these sorts of films I suppose um yeah absolutely because yeah. I think Sense Sensibility like it really the film I mean really zips along at quite a pace and yet I also do mm. feel like there is enough time for those characters to really go through those um emotional shifts because obviously it's so cru crucial that Eleanor learns to listen to her, her heart and Marianne learns to um, be a little wiser, a little bit more careful. Um, it's, you know, both of those shifts have to happen. I mean, not quite simultaneously, but essentially. Um, and how do you, how do you capture that in 
Yeah, how long is this film? Kind of two hours and a bit, or around the around the two it's, hour it's, mark. It's it's, it's, a, it's approaching the two hour twenty mark. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. I you know because to me it just flies by every time yeah. I watch it. But it's it, I suppose you know. I mean, I feel lot, I feel that way about all six hours of the ninety five Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Yeah, so. that's fair. Actually, that really. Does <laughs> well, even though, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's a bit bit of a beast in terms of runtime, but. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I. it's funny you say that about your mum because my mum does like Jane Austen, but I think my mum's real love is Emma Thompson. So okay. that's the uh, main reason we return to this all the time is my mum absolutely adores Emma Thompson. Um, I believe they're about the same age because I believe they were both at sixth form college together. But oh, mum wow. didn't know her, which is very, very, very sad. But uh, mm-hmm. I think she was a, maybe a couple of years difference. But, um, but yes, uh, so I've been raised on quite a, Emma Thompson heavy diet which is um a good one to be raised on (laughs) exactly I mean Emma Thompson's style of humor and really just personality and presence on screen I sort of realize has actually had an enormous influence on me and my personality and what I find funny Mm. um I would say that a crucial if you love this film which Obviously, everyone should because it's of brilliant. <laughs> um, and if you haven't read the diaries that Emma Thompson wrote while she was making this film, they are absolutely brilliant. I tend to read them genuinely once or twice a year because yeah. they're a really quick read. They, they're just so fucking funny. <laughs> and the observations and the kind of contrast between like stories of being on set and like Hugh Grant says something funny Ang Lee says something funny but then also these little stories about what she gets up to when she goes home to the B&B every night and uh, you know what she had for dinner and what she put in her bubble bath and it's just so delightful and I really I really found particularly actually when I was having a really bad time at the beginning of last year so the beginning of 2021 and I found it very reassuring and comforting to read these diaries partly because they're just so funny and so yeah you know irreverent a lot of the time but also because we kind of now reading it I know that at the time she was going through the horrible divorce from old Kenneth Branagh you know Mm. Ken and M the it couple were splitting up (laughs) um and you really get a sense of that she is recovering from heartbreak in those diaries it's it's very mm. much a kind of backdrop but it's 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 there it, it's present and you get the sense that maybe quite a lot has been cut out for for publication but um but there is still a sense there that she's that she's really throwing herself into her work to recover from something really awful happening and uh yeah. i really i really value that i really find it very comforting to read god could you imagine if kenneth branner had directed this it would uh, oh no thank you um I, I mean, Christ, I'm not. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't put Ken down too much because I do love much to do about nothing. But everything else is. Oh yeah, that film is gorgeous. That film is it, gorgeous. But, and but Ken again, and them together, they have such yeah, a beautiful. It's main, and It's mainly. Stuff. It's mainly Emma Thompson who who lifts that film. <laughs> she is a perfect Beatrice. But um, yeah, it's Absolutely. interesting because she's yeah. she's so. The '90s really was her decade sort of the, the the heritage film as you said in, in in the british heritage film in the 90s is so sort of revolves around her as a as an actress sort of right from 
um, sort of the merchant ivory stuff that she was doing at the start Mm -hmm. of the 90s that really, you know, sort of cemented her international acting status um, in um, as Helen Schlegel and and Howard's End and, 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 my mm-hmm. favorite, my favorite of her roles, which is Miss Kenton in Reigns of the Day, which is oh, one of God, one yeah. of my favorite films and 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 my favorite novel. Um, and 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 again, I suppose there's there's something in sort of the way that Ishiguro looks at sort of the British upper classes is is sort of similar to the way in which someone like Ang Lee is sort of approaching it, I guess, where it's sort of almost look outsider looking in to some extent I mean obviously Ishiguro was in England from I think about the age of nine so he, he mm-hmm. more more so than Ang Lee but I know that Ang Lee sort of said that and, and Emma Thompson said that she 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 was sort of wanted that in a in a in a director as well of a film like this it's just someone who's sort of looking at Britain from outside of Britain to some extent um to present something mm. a bit more sort of objective um, rather than the sort of subjectivities that someone like Emma Thompson, who you know, uh, had has a, had a very privileged life, um, pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, especially in sort of the circles that she's always been in, and 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 um, the sort of class of her upbringing, and going to Newnham, Cambridge, and and writing this. I suppose she she's almost. I mean, obviously, she's she's perhaps not sort of Dashwood status, but um, it's sort of mm. it's closer to her than perhaps it would be some other people who who are involved in this. Um, and and obviously, there's a lot of sort of, as you said, um, high high class sort of heritage British alumni starring in this film as well. Um, people mm-hmm. like like Hugh Grant and Adam Rickman and, and and Kate Winslet as well they're they're all sort of it's 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 so strange to see this film as sort of the part of the beginning of their careers because they feel they feel like such timeless characters I suppose it's because they've been in films that have sort of stretched stretched ac- across uh, multiple centuries that they sort of feel like they've always always been inhabiting these sorts of roles I don't know um there's something comforting in that as well yeah absolutely I mean I really the pre-Titanic Kate Winslet is a particularly gorgeous thing to behold I think as much as you know I, I'm I'm quite fond of Titanic I've, I think I've only seen it once all the way through um but I so enjoy her mid to late 90s period of playing incredibly precocious emotional <laughs> you know essentially teenage girls you know I think of this performance is like a more a slightly calmer more nuanced more real version of her performance in Heavenly Creatures um which I yeah I think she just went through a stage of mainly playing precocious precocious very emotional sort of adolescence young women maybe that's a bit unfair but um and yeah it's it's really and and actually going back to talking about Ang Lee for a second and 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 as a potential sort of outsider looking in um incidentally there are a lot of hilarious stories obviously as as I'm sure you know if you've read them in the diaries about Ang Lee's very different way of approaching kind of directing or uh even just the way he was kind of 
on set uh, slightly clashing sometimes occasionally with the very British way of doing things. Um, uh, anyway, hilarious, would highly recommend <laughs> diving into those, you know, like apparently he would <laughs> go up to Hugh Grant after a take and just say, very boring yes <laughs> like he, like he's not, not acquainted with the very british way of saving people's feelings he would just be incredibly blunt and saying to emma thompson you know don't look so old like it's yep. just, i love it so much anyway um but i think what's so and what i really appreciated watching this film as i've grown up and learned more about film and more about how they're made you know kind of really kind of developing my skills of, of, of kind of analysis and observation is how amazing the blocking is mm. in this film and it's such, it feels initially like a really dull thing to observe but I actually think it's so crucial the blocking and the body language is it's just like the language of these films because it obviously reveals everything that the characters can't actually say because no one's saying how they really feel basically at any point until the end and there's a big inevitable emotional outburst from from Eleanor and from Edward um I think he just absolutely understands the how important it is who's standing where who's touching who and how who's reaching for who, like the rhythm is just like exquisite and the exact moment when someone should look away or someone should look up or, you know, I think he's just so, ex I'm kind of thinking of, uh, the scene I'm thinking of an example actually is there's a scene quite late on when I believe it's Edward goes to visit Eleanor in London and it's, yeah. you know, kind of the, the last time they meet before they kind of have their big, their big moment at the end. And it's just a very simple scene of him coming up into the room, they sit down, they discuss, it's, but it's, and it's very, very simple. And it's, it's a very, very simple blocking, but it's such a painful scene emotionally. And you can really feel the, the stilted, it's stilted and it's awkward and it's delicate, um, but just the exquisite timing of everything. And I think actually to speaking about Hugh Grant, sorry, I'm really rambling, but speaking about Hugh Grant, I find it really interesting to find out that Hugh Grant, the way he works is that he meticulously plans every single thing he does in a performance, like every blink, every stutter, every pause, he like writes it out on his script. And I actually think that works perfectly with Austin and perfectly with yeah, it just seems to meld perfectly with the way Ang Lee seems to be able to so skillfully and so naturally know exactly where to place the actors and exactly where to place the camera and, yeah, just the timing of every glance. Because this film doesn't have the showiness of, say, the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice, which I'm very fond of, but I will not argue necessarily is a great piece of cinema. I would argue that this sensibility is the greatest Jane Austen adaptation for me like for me mm -hmm. honestly by a country mile but yeah and it, and it doesn't it you know the, the Joe Wright Prime Prejudice it has a lot of like swooping romanticism to it it has a lot of it's more overtly kind of stylistic and um yeah and, and this by contrast you might say oh it's a little pedestrian it's a little sedate but I think actually it's yeah it's just like so exquisitely directed yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think 
there are there are there are some similarities. I mean, I think the thing that really strikes always strikes me with um Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice is, is is again that sort of blocking and staging. Um the scene with the sort of um because I, I I absolutely love the the, the Marianelli's score and mm-hmm. his his adaptation of the um Purcell theme, the the one that's um, oh gorgeous, yeah. The the the, the theme to um Young person's guide to the orchestra, the one that Britain adapts as well, mm-hmm. and it's that that dance scene and the way the camera comes in and out. It's just so gorgeous. Um, and the other thing I think, which which I suppose is really crucial to any Austrian adaptation, because you know these, there's a reason why so many women find these films so powerful, um, and I certainly find it, <laughs> and I have found it, and, and it might, might explain certain aspects of my sexuality that, <laughs> in terms of sort of uh, uh, un, a sort of unhealthy attraction to older men, I suppose, <laughs> in terms of how, <laughs> how, how, how eroticized sort of subtle gestures are, how something oh, really yes, quite small yeah. can be so overwhelmingly sexual. Um, it's it's it. Uh, mm. I mean, in I think the most famous one in Pride in Rights, Pride and Prejudice is Mac, is Matthew McFadden's hands. Um, yes, and oh, and, so and gorgeous. The, yeah. the the way he sort of flexes them, um, and I, I I was noticing that re rewatching Sense and Sensibility as well, just how erotic the scene when Willoughby um, checks Marianne's foot in the rain. Um, when she falls oh, to the yes. ground, yeah, um, and it's 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 amazing. I was also thinking that, of the scene. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on. no, I was just, I was just saying that it's 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 the way that sexuality is presented in film adaptations is to really sort of lay the stress on the places where Austin is being erotic in her writing, um, mm. and 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 sort of the extent to which she was able to be erotic in her writing and how genuinely quite titillating <laughs> books can be um I mean obviously the most the, the, the I say obviously it's not obvious at all the, the most famous sort of analysis of that is by Eve Kosovsky Sedgwick and and Jane Austen and the masturbating girl and her sort of analysis of the language that Austen uses in talking about Marianne I mean I don't entirely agree with with Sedgwick on sort of um the extent to which Marianne sort of has this this sort of obsession with masturbation um but I think that perhaps that, that there's definitely something in there in terms of sort of looking at language and the way that bedroom scenes in particular in this one are so prevalent um more so than perhaps in Austin's I don't know if you've read that that essay but it's it's, it's I haven't and I it's, and it's a very fascinating read that's amazing no I I have yeah. to <laughs> she I, she I she, com- she compares a lot of the language to um this sort of like 19th century French doctor who um did some studies on 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 this girl that he sort of believed had an excess of an excess of sexuality um and was she was masturbating too much so he cured her by burning her clitoris um so yeah maybe and 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 the way that Marianne is sort of described her sort of rest physical restlessness is quite similar to that um I mean obviously it's sort of highly unlikely that that's what Jane Austen had in mind but it's an interesting sort of 
comparison of language, the, the, the fact that sort of the adjectives and the words and the, the descriptors are so similar is, is quite striking. Um, sorry, Laura, <laughs> you keep wanting to say about something. No, no, I was just thinking, I mean, that, that sounds so fascinating. I was just thinking of the moment that I always forget about until it rolls round is um, the incredible intimacy of the bit where the moment where Willoughby cuts a tiny lock of Marianne's hair and the way he kind of pulls down on the curl and it goes into a really tight close-up because there aren't that many close that's just um, I mean there aren't that many tight close-ups in this film full stop and I think you see the mm -hmm. curl like bounce back up as it's been cut and I think <laughs> it's just such an intimate moment I think because you know maybe one of his fingers is grazing the side of her face ever so slightly and it's I think it's really um yeah it really does capture that sense of intimacy but and, and of course it's sexy because it's a bit forbidden and you know that it is and you know I think by that point even if you're not super familiar with the world of Jane Austen by that point in the film out of comparison you understand that by the period standards you know that is a huge a hugely intimate act um, I suppose also the moment when she she draws his silhouette, doesn't she? When uh, he's posing and she's kind of she's not really allowed to trace his uh, his profile with her finger, but she can do it with a a little pencil or a, or a piece of charcoal. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it, it it definitely works as a nice contrast because you know Eleanor and Edward have an equally you know relatively chaste uh you know it's not even a courtship whatever you call their their kind of burgeoning romance you know intimate friendship at the, at the very beginning um but they are so much more restrained that that yes by the time that Willoughby swoops in on his lovely white horse and crashes down into the mud to scoop up Kate Winslet you know you're, you're, it's all very sort of driving rain oh lovely stuff <laughs> yeah Very I mean uh, as we said earlier that there's this sort of uh, almost obsession with I mean I immediately have in my mind that Vanity Fair cover that with Benedict Cumberbatch and the swans and he's sort of so so soaked through to the skin it's it's just, it's a similar thing in Austin adaptation I mean obviously it's sort of it comes in with with Colin Firth as Darcy and, and has been sort mm. of emulated since but it's it's a form of of sort of sensuality that is so tactile and and sort of haptic in terms of how it's its focus is on touch and 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 this and sort of physical senses when when explicit sexuality is not acceptable or historically accurate i suppose um yeah. but they're, they're always it's interesting for in in most of Austen's novels, there's all, there's often a female character who is sort of immature and precocious and sort of overly sexed, I suppose, uh, like the mm, way that li yes. li Lydia Bennett behaves in Pride and Prejudice, and um, to some extent Emma Woodhouse, and 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 certainly here it's it's Marianne in her in her sort of restlessness to. Mm. Um, to have a relationship and, and to get married. Um, I don't know <laughs> if there's something to be made of that um, or to what extent sort of, because obviously as, as, as we sort of know, Austin put a lot of like 
herself and and her family and, and her sister into her books it's sort of you wonder where that's coming from to some to some extent if there was a sort of sexual frustration being sort of expressed in those moments of, of her books I don't know mm, I mean obviously it's such a cliche but you could really read Sense Sensibility as kind of here are two slightly frustrated sides of the same person and, mm-hmm. and obviously those characters do essentially function as sort of inverse mirrors, mirrors of each other and by the end of the story yeah. they have come to a sort of central point where you know Marianne has matured and Eleanor has has finally let go of some of that repression and they're they're in a, a similar sort of a much more similar similar point at the end um but you know it, and I feel like there's there seems to always be a tension at least in the kind of way that Jane Austen as a person is viewed in kind of popular culture in that either she's an old maid and isn't it so sad she never got married um, and she, you know, got all of her, got all of her um, uh, interest in romance out in her books, you know, or, oh, she was secretly in love with this person and this person and this one and person. And, oh, maybe she was having sex with this person. You know, I feel like people can't help but veer to the two, the two extremes. Or maybe that's just the way that, that, that famous women who we don't necessarily know that much about get, get, you know, they're either, they're either going to be the virgin or the whore, mm. aren't they? It's, it's slightly inevitable. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, but I, I suppose, I suppose to some extent, sort of that, that sort of yearning that is so obvious in so many of, in in her works is partly mm-hmm. explains its sort of continued appeal. Um, I mean, there is an extent to which, if you talk about sexuality in Austin, there is a certain accusation of sacrilege that that comes <laughs> from certain yes. people, certain critics. Is sort of you know. Just Sedgwick calling that essay Jane Austen the masturbating girl is obviously deliberately sort of provocative and 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 sort of deliberately riling against a certain tradition in literary criticism that that sort of holds Jane Austen up as this sort of pure perfect virginal figure in the way that Elizabeth I is sort of held up as that in mm. in the history of the British monarchy, um, whereas actually, you know that's not that's not a that's not useful I think no as it might it might it might be for for a sort of patriarchal (laughs) or or how certain men might like to think of think of women who like to sit and read their their nice little stories about romance um (laughs) but uh, uh, as as women and as feminists it's it's much more important to be able to sort of acknowledge that aspect of it and 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 yeah I think the the sort of the formative aspect of it in terms of how we sort of come to these stories and 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 period dramas in particular and I think I think you know most people will have seen uh, people are more likely sorry to have seen a, a, a sort of tv or film adaptation of Austin than to have read the books um mm. so it's 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 interesting how that appeal has sort of continued and, and sort of spawns things like Bridgerton and it's 
I haven't seen Bridgerton, but um, it's it's the similar. It's oh gosh, your, it's, it's, it's it's slightly it's fascinating. I'm sure you'll find it fascinating as someone who loves Austin so much. <laughs> comparison point. I think you kind of have to at some point, but oh, it's a it's a wild old time. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, no, no, no. It's it's interesting because it's 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 riding on that appeal, but it's sort of uh, to my understanding of how Bridgerton sort of works. It's it's sort of making that steaminess literal rather than keeping it sort of at mm. a distance as as films like as films like this do um and as a result uh, I, yeah. I and I, I and I think a lot of other people would agree it gets much less interesting after they start fucking to be totally blind, well that's you know? very true <laughs> yeah definitely I mean it's it, there's something more sensuous about sort of implication and um i don't know it depends uh, obviously if you if you if you if you if you, if you want something pornographic you don't go to austin or to period drama no, no, not at um, all. no go to go go to marquise de Sade or something like that don't <laughs> don't read jane austen <laughs> but um i think i think that there's an aspect of sensuality um that is so that, that that is served by 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 her works and, and by adaptations of of them. Mm. Um, may, I actually I think. Yeah. That, sorry. No, go on, Emma, Laura. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you got to call me Emma Thompson. I, don't I was uh, no. I, I was. I was actually. I was. It's because I was thinking about Emma Woodhouse actually. Because <laughs> uh, I was thinking the I was, other I, Emma. I, I, the other Emma. Um, look mm-hmm. at, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. 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 Don't worry. Uh, I was going to say, I think what I found, what I find interesting and what I really realized recently is one of the reasons that this film spoke to me so much in my early teens and continues to over the years. You know, this is a film I've watched maybe twice a year, every year since I've seen it. I just, it's so comforting and I feel so at home when I watch it and I always cry at the end, um, is that actually I really connect with Eleanor and her emotional repression that Mm. is what I find myself really drawn to even as a teenager when you know maybe you'll be more likely to feel Marianne's kind of impetuousness her excitement her just kind of eagerness and enthusiasm for the world um and you know maybe kind of lack of care of, of of others just kind of flinging herself headfirst into anything that comes her way but actually you know I always identified with Eleanor and I actually really found particularly later a parallel in the way that uh an appreciation and an appreciation for the way that you know period dramas they are all about repression and that's in terms of sexual sexuality but also just also just emotion just Mm. just emotional repression absolutely everything is uh is locked away is forced down is kind of buried in the earth and I do feel a kinship and maybe I get a sense of release in particular when Eleanor is finally able to let that go by the end of the film and have her emotional outbursts you know because and I, and I was someone who used to be incredibly reserved and I th- and I think very repressed and I and mm. I really and partly I mean, really in all aspects of my life, but I think I, one of the reasons I'm drawn to period dramas 
is that I feel a parallel between like the repression of my queer self and in the repression that these characters mm-hmm. clearly struggle with. And like, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're fitting into a nice patriarchal model of like, and then everyone gets heterosexually married and isn't that lovely the end? And it's like, well, yes, that's mm-hmm. true. But I feel more of an emotional journey actually with those characters than I do in 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 some films that maybe are about explicitly queer relationships um because that's the way you know that's the that's the way that these things work is that sometimes actually you will you will identify more with something that is not quite so literal um but yeah just for some reason flick some emotional switch inside you and and for me that that is one of the things I find so appealing about about period dramas that that release of that release of repression you know um yeah does it for me every time <laughs> yeah no I, I I highly recommend you do read Sedgwick because her particularly her book uh, Epistemology of the Closet is sort of looking at, 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 at that sort of reading levels of queerness into sort of in, in literature and, and and applying that to to film is partly what this podcast is is about because I I mean it's it's great to talk about films where queerness is literal but I think it's even better to talk about films like this, where it's not stated explicitly, um, but there is a sort of there is a there is a certain sensibility, haha, um, in haha, ha, ha, in <laughs> in 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 sort of a, a queer aesthetic or a vibe of queerness, which I think you're right does come through that sort of repression and closetedness that that Eleanor expresses in 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 terms of sort of keep and 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 to some extent that's 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 the same with um with 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 um elizabeth bennett in in pride and prejudice mm-hmm. as well in, in terms of sort of uh, and, and certainly something i i i mean i identify very strongly with lizzie because the the way she sort of represses those desires to sort of you know, be bookish and scholarly and, <laughs> you know, to, to sort of get ahead in that respect and not bother with all of that. And then suddenly, though the sort of floodgates opening when you meet someone like Darcy, um, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, I've never met a Mr. Darcy per se, but I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that similarly that, that that is something that that, that can happen, that, that, that you sort of hide these things and don't, don't know that they exist until you meet someone who sort of opens that aspect up to you. I don't, I don't know, but it's, mm. I, I, I think it's, it's that sort of, when I was talking about sort of the, the tactility of the, of the, of the film and, and of Austin's writing and, and, and of film adaptations, and I think this is true of period dramas in general, is that you have to find creative ways of expressing sensuousness um mm. that go beyond especially when everyone's sort of wearing six layers of clothing and you know, <laughs> I mean there's a lot of heaving bosoms of course and and um empire waistlines but um I'm not I'm I'll be, beyond that I'm not sure that it's sort of there's an, a, a hint of an ankle maybe but not much not much mm. else but that in itself almost becomes more sensuous than 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 
nakedness in some ways um oh god absolutely because it's hidden and then sort of it it, it presents itself it it, um and and i want i wonder if to some extent that that that's something that ang lee has brought to this film as a director um i believe i'm writing saying that the film he made immediately before this was the wedding banquet um, mm, which I've actually never seen, but I must, and you know, as a comparison point to this, I'm sure it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I and and you know, Ang Lee's also also directed like Brokeback Mountain and another sort of queer staples and Wedding Banquet is is, is about sort of. I ha- I also haven't haven't seen it, but it's about it's about a sort of closeted gay couple who are sort of mm. hiding there. Their relationship from their family for fear of judgment. So it's, it's, it's something that Ang Lee is sort of familiar with. Um, so I don't think it's it's sort of beyond the realm of possibility to read that sort of vibe into <laughs> this this mm. adaptation in in particular. Um, whereas I wouldn't say that that's present in um, in Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, which is which I think is the most obvious film to compare this one to in terms of sort of mm. prestige um British sort of blockbuster <laughs> as far as as far as Britain does blockbusters this is sort of the peak of that um and and Autumn Deville's um Emma which is mm. a different a different beast unto itself uh, a wonderful film I thought um and and adapted by the great Ellen the cat and who who wrote the luminaries and uh oh of course yeah. her her adaptation work in that is is fascinating especially when you compare that film that adaptation to the one with Gwyneth Paltrow which I believe was the first Jane Austen adaptation I ever saw not the best way in I'm not terribly keen on that <laughs> that no, adaptation I think, I think mine was fairly that was fairly early on for me as well I think maybe it was on TV and I saw some of it when I was quite young and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but yes, no, it's not up there with the all time greats. It, it's got its moments, but um, no, not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if that partly comes from having non-British actors playing Austin's characters. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think Anya Taylor-Joy is an excellent Emma Woodhouse, but I still, I'm not entirely sure what what the decisioning in that casting was, except for the fact that she's very beautiful. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe we just don't have enough beautiful actresses in this country. I <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that's obviously not true. Um, but maybe that <laughs> maybe when when sort of they're getting Hollywood backing for these films, that's what they need to to do. Um, I don't know. It's it's um I I I need to I I've seen some of the Kate Beckinsale Emma. I should watch that because I love Kate Beckinsale in um, Love and Friendship and uh, all of Whit Stillman's. Oh yeah, she's so wonderful. All of Whit Stillman's films sort of have an Austin connection. Um, The thing I always think of is is the the bit. Have you seen Metropolitan? Oh, no, I haven't. I really ought to. I know I would love it, but I. Oh, I never it's it's fantastic, it. and there's there's this uh, incredibly relatable um, situation that 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 um, 
a character it's one of the women that the uh, these sorts of student parties um is talking to this guy and he's she says that Mansfield Park's her favorite novel and he says oh no Mansfield Park's dreadful because it's just about these like the uppity people putting on a play or whatever and he's like criticizing it or whatever and um he says, um, oh, I haven't actually read it. I've just read good literary criticism. I don't believe you have to read books. I just believe you have to read good reviews of books. Um, and it's just, <laughs> the, the, it sort of falls into that, um, that sort of derision that a lot of a lot of men have of women who like Austen or period dramas. That, 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 mm. that it is sort of, it's not even worth their time to read it. They can just dismiss it without no. ne- without needing to engage with it and its subtleties and its um and its beauty in many ways um i think this is a very beautiful mm. film with a very beautiful story um yeah no i'm very glad that you chose and this. i think yeah. <laughs> oh i'm so glad honestly i find this film so moving it's so it's so um I find it very touching emotionally and perhaps because I have a younger sister and, yeah. you know, we are very close that of course, you know, to a certain extent, I don't necessarily see a, an immediate parallel. She is not the Marianne to my Eleanor, but, um, <laughs> and of course there are three Dashwood sisters. Let's not forget Margaret. She's, uh, she's wonderful <laughs> in this film. I love her to pieces. Um, yeah. But I think I, I had a, I had a realization at the beginning of last year again when I was you know I was very unhappy at the beginning of last year and I was working on actually a piece of writing also about this film um, any opportunity to write to talk about this film I will I will take it gladly with you know with both <laughs> hands um, and I was really trying to again unravel why I love it so much and actually I think because I saw this when I was about eleven or twelve this was probably the first time I had ever seen you know a film clearly intended purely for adults or like, you know, almost entirely for an for an adult audience that was actually interested in women's emotions <laughs> primarily, you know? Yeah. I was yeah. thinking about this and I was just thinking back to, well, you know, obviously a lot of the, the kids' films I was raised on had female leads, sure, but this was, yeah, probably the first film and clearly entirely meant for adults that I ever saw that prioritized women's emotions about above absolutely everything and Mm -hmm. I think that is incredibly powerful and maybe why I still go back to it because it's so about those women's emotional journeys and like quite specifically about them either learning to slightly you know having bad experiences learning to slightly rein themselves in to protect themselves or letting go entirely you know I think that's really yeah it, it clearly moved me very much but at, at the time and still does and still does now because it's felt quite like something quite different at least mm. for me you know a little 11 12 year old me <laughs> yeah no definitely I mean it's almost to some extent the men's feelings don't matter well, you know men are simple creatures mm. who 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 uh... <laughs> <laughs> will go along <laughs> go along with it which obviously you know it's it's, it's I don't feel bad saying that because men have enough <laughs> media representation. Thank you very much. They've got plenty. Uh, they, they, they don't they, need they, anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Um, whereas this, these are these are special, um, and they are. We don't. Ha- women don't have much sort of 
mainstream or canonical um, culture that goes back this far. And it really mm. is sort of, everything sort of begins with Jane Austen in that sense, in terms of sort of representation mm. of women's emotions in the, in the specific way that we've been talking about and, and women's desires and women's needs. I mean, that, that you know, I, I, I talked about that in sort of a sense of sexuality and, and sort of sexual desire and Sedgwick's sort of fixation on m- masturbation <laughs> in this novel and, and, and the extent to which the cat Marianne in particular sort of has a desire to masturbate um or need to masturbate that she'd sort of be if she's not masturbating then she could really do with a good yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, you you see what I'm driving at um and Mm -hmm. and and that sort of that influences everyone who comes after that from George Eliot to Virginia Woolf and 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 so on um absolutely yeah and and obviously in in cinema as well yeah 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 I was gonna say I think also I think this film is quite particularly good at also the simple communication and it's awkward because all period dramas have to do this and it's always a bit awkward of how do we explain to the audience that like these characters these women can't just go out and get a job and earn money you know, money is such a crucial, crucial part of these stories. I feel like we haven't, we haven't really touched on it yet. Um, and mm. perhaps because it's not as easily transferable necessarily to our contemporary contemporary society in the way that desires are. But I think it really it is really, really good at communicating, yeah, the... The situation that these these women re- really were in of mm-hmm. you know not to not to paraphrase Greta Gerwig's Little Women but you know that line <laughs> about marriage being an economic yeah. uh, proposition but of course it absolutely is and in some ways the 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 film ending with Marianne and Colonel Brandon's wedding on the one hand of course it's it's lovely and romantic that this dark brooding man who was secretly you know well he was always so good and honest but he was kind of secretly or not so secretly pining for Marianne all along and she finally you know finally starts to see him in a new light you know it's very touching and and gosh the moment when she's just recovering from her from her fever and she manages to just about croak out you know Colonel Bradson thank you just as he's leaving and Alderman with beautiful face gorgeous lovely poetic cinema love it um, <laughs> but there's kind of we very deliberately don't really get a sense that the two of them have actually necessarily fallen in love at the end in the way that Eleanor and, and Edward are in love you know mm. we he reads poetry to her and it's quite sensuous and beautiful and it's it's it, it shows that they have that common ground and they have that emotional connection um and it kind of shows it implies that she can have passion and, and love and a kind of emotional or sort of artistic creative connection with someone who isn't Willoughby and isn't going to right. <laughs> do her over like the terrible cad that he is But at the same time, there is still a sense of Willoughby is that one that got away or Marianne is that one that got away and that and she's entering into something different with Colonel Brandon. And it is about money. You know, the last Mm. shot of this film very purposefully is 
is kind of random throwing these golden coins into the crowd for the village children and adults. There's a great little moment where we were cut away with like Harriet Walter as you know the incredibly rich um, relative, still forcing you know her husband to get down and pick up the gold coins that are meant for the village children. Um, but yeah, it's not a triumph. It doesn't end on a triumphant kiss or a sunset it, it is those gold coins being thrown into the crowd and again maybe that's that's another reason why it's it's uh it works that a director like ang lee who's coming from an external you know he doesn't necessarily have as a grasp on the kind of british culture and personality in the same way that emma thompson does but you know money is a fairly universal concern everywhere and anywhere um and that's yeah it's just a huge part of these stories and i think a lot of people uh but maybe people who are less familiar with austin think of them as these like sweeping romantic love stories and it's like well to a certain extent but money and class and power a huge a huge components yeah and you know these yeah definitely and i think that what's so appealing in some ways is that unlike a lot of sort of fiction from 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 this period and and and, and period dramas is that these aren't i mean obviously no one's no one's properly poor <laughs> sort of no poor. no of course it's, not it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's, it's, it's sort of old money down on its luck is kind of a way of putting it you know that a lot of these people aren't yeah posh and they're not in the upper upper echelons of sort of the class that they're in um you know this Mm. is this is really her novel about (laughs) poverty obviously not (laughs) but 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 it's not yes they still have a you know at least one servant but yes it's sort of yes precisely it's sort of closer (laughs) it's sort of closer to ordinary modern experience than perhaps um some of her other works are I mean obviously the Bennett's are are sort of very sort of on the lower end of the social scale and are constantly Mm. reminded of that by Lady Catherine and so on and um you know of course yes are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted I love that line it's so good (laughs) (laughs) um and 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 sort of the economic proposal of marriage in that as well, you know the the extent to which mm. Elizabeth should absolutely consider marrying Mr. Collins, which is just such of a course, vile yeah, a vile consideration. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the big, and 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 even to some extent, the Woodhouses. Um, Emma Emma sort of presents herself as being sort of more of a sort of social magnet and 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 center pole than mm. than perhaps she she really is um I mean the main reason why I talk about these three together is because they're the ones that have sort of been adapted the most times um yes. yeah yeah I mean obviously there are elements of this in in persuasion and 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 mm. and, and so on but I think that those are th- those three are they're perhaps the three most comparable. They're certainly the three most popular. And, and it's interesting that they're the three that mm. have been sort of repeatedly adapted. And I, I do wonder if there is, to some extent, a sort of, 
you know, that as I say, that the, the class aspect of it is that actually these characters aren't, are actually the ones sort of looked down on by, you know, they're, they're, the, the circles they sort mm-hmm. of move in are above them. It's like Little Women in the same way, you know, the, 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 the sort of... Yes, yes. The, yeah. the, the March family is, is, is really sort of n- not wealthy at all. Um, and and that that has mm. sort of these rela- these relations and relationships with with wealthier people in their community. Um, it's inter- it's always always amazes me that Little Women is American because it, it feels um, sort of a, a a similar sort of vibe to it. Um, oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, and I can imagine. I imagine that Greta Gerwig surely has taken took some sensibility you know this film as a source of inspiration because I actually find the way that she weaves original dialogue from the novel into her script but really brings those lines to life and sometimes recontextualizes them you know I think her style is very similar very similar um which I obviously mean as a compliment I think they're both very I mean they're both very skilled writers and they're both extremely good at adaptation and Mm -hmm. finding finding characters that feel, finding a character and making them feel, you know, real to the period and, but still contemporary and, and, you know, I hate to overuse the word relatable, but because it's just like, what does that even really mean? But, mm-hmm. you know, feel that emotional connection with someone who has been, who exists on a page for hundreds of mm-hmm. years in the past. You know, I think they're both very skilled. It's an um, important word to use. I mean, there's an awful lot of literature from, from that period that, that, that isn't relatable. Um, especially for women, um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I think it is important to, I, mm. yeah. I know why you <laughs> resist using that word because it's sort of um, overused, perhaps, by people nowadays. But I, I think it is important. Yeah, it's like the implication, yeah. yeah. That like you can I, 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 I think if you can relate to them, and it's like, well, of course yeah. not. But yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's this similar then in, in in sort of comparison to to a lot of criticism that's that's leveled against Joanna Hogg and her films and the souvenir and and sort of mm. you know that that the, 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 these are sort of upper class people that 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 clearly sort of need to have a good talking to um and a slap on the wrist mm. because they you know that 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 it is beyond it's beyond the realms of empathy to be able to sort of connect with characters in, 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 in a different sort of social class to yourself um, or a different social situation to yourself that mm. that's surely the whole point of, of cinema and, and, and of art mm. more broadly is, is, is to be able to to empathize with people in a different situation to yourself mm. um, which I think this film and many others <laughs> of its like and its genre um, are able to achieve I think this is I'm trying to think if this is the first um sort of heritage film we've talked about I mean I would I talked about Orlando with um on, oh on yes episode. but that's a bit of a different creature isn't it <laughs> yeah oh completely completely different in terms of in terms of adaptation um but I think adaptation is so interesting especially when sort of translating what what is existing in the source material into something that that does have maintained that appeal sort of in, in the 1990s and how a film mm. like this maintains that sort of appeal today, um, yeah. especially for, for an audience, which, which does seem to be 
overwhelmingly female and and very often queer in sort of its its appeal and why that why that is when actually on on the surface of it this is pure heteronormative <laughs> behavior yeah. you know in in sort of the purest and and, and most archaic form um so yeah and maybe sometimes yeah. it's and maybe it's not even necessarily something so complex as I don't know I suppose it's that simple thing and I hate to go back to relatability as a word but sensitivity you know it's like we've all yearned after people that we can't have and we've probably all had an experience of being led along by someone who then very abruptly dumps you it's it's so um maybe it's just tame as old as time you know what I mean like failed failed romances someone isn't quite who you thought they were or oh there's been someone close to you all this time who maybe you didn't quite see in that light light, but now you do you know I I, you know what we you know what we really need what we really need is an Austin adaptation that that focuses on hinge I feel like that's (laughs) 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 you want to really drive home related it almost certainly is Netflix I'm sure there's someone the Netflix, Netflix they're in a boardroom right now in LA yeah. and they're yeah. like okay what if Austin but we're dating apps yeah. um yeah oh, I dread I dread it but I'm sure it's on its way yeah <laughs> oh god no yeah Clueless was what late 90s so I suppose we're probably due a sort of modern Austin retelling um oh, yeah, no, yeah no thank you um, I mean, I think I think there have been others. I'm, tr- I'm struggling to think of them now. Um, None of them made the impact that Clueless did, and 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 that's that's probably for a good reason. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but in some ways, to me, sort of film like Clueless feels more dated than than this does. Um, this this oh this, yeah, absolutely. This sense of sensibility could quite easily it could be made at any time. It it almost feels it's it's such a timeless story and the way it's told is so timeless as well um Mm. yeah as as indeed are a lot of sort of prestige heritage films that are made in the 90s um some more than others you know you you think of sort of Alfonso Cuaron's Great Expectations adaptation which 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 maybe hasn't aged as well um sort of (laughs) the way in the in terms of the way that things are adapted um but yeah no this is a a very beautiful film um it really is and oh my gosh I always I always cry at the end when after what two hours and 15 minutes uh Emma Thompson as Eleanor finally breaks down and starts crying and then I start crying the music swells Marianne and her mother and Margaret they're all crying outside I'm weeping. It's just glorious. What a release. What a like, <laughs> you know, it's just gorgeous. I hate, to, again, I hate to use yeah. the word cathartic. It's overused, but. I, I was just about to way. say it does feel, there is, there is, there's always catharsis to Austin's books and mm. to adaptations of them. Um, they are things that I will watch as comfort movies because I do find the act of crying quite comforting to sort of get <laughs> release emotions and I, I'm almost always guaranteed to cry at the end of Sense and Sensibility or, or Pride and Prejudice um, mm. less so with Emma Emma's a different beast altogether really 
Yeah, Emma is really different. I mean, Emma is really about the relationship between Emma and Harriet, isn't it? The the yes. nightly stuff is 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 lovely, but that's the B story, isn't it? It's not the A story. Um, yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll have to do another one of these and and talk about talk about Emma in more in more detail. I don't know. Oh, we should. <laughs> I would love that. You know, compare Gwyneth and uh, Anya's takes. That would be very interesting. I that think. would be fun. Like, yeah almost what not quite 20 years apart from each other or well yeah maths. no how many years i don't know i don't know what year the uh the 90s emma came out but, uh, we, but yeah, am i, I am i right in saying really that we're, we're, we're getting a mansword park adaptation fairly soon oh yes i just i keep losing track because i feel like every couple of months a new austin adaptation is announced and then I don't hear anything for ages. And then you there don't were two hear persuasions anything. for a while, yeah. but we've dropped back there down were. to one. I think the Sarah Snook one is cancelled, but the Dakota Johnson one is still going. Is that right? That sounds right. Oh. Yeah. Do we do we need a Dakota Johnson persuasion? That can be sort of I really, a question I to Dakota leave Johnson people with. Elliot, are you joking? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I highly doubt I, it. I, but, I don't um, know. Yeah. I mean, surely, surely if anything, what we have learned from from looking at sense and sensibility is that you just need British actors. I mean, I don't say yeah. <laughs> um, I also, you know, American actors will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> put put Cumberbatch in a, in an Austin or something. That'd be great. I don't uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm now I'm just gonna I'm just sort of daydreaming about fantasy Austin casts. Um, not that anyone will ever beat Anna Rickman in this for me. Right? Oh gosh, so gorgeous, so such, beautiful. His lovely blonde a, hair. Such a beautiful oh. human being. <laughs> really, oh. so gorgeous. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this film. I can't remember what it was. It might have been Blank Check. And someone pointed out that Anna Rickman's face looks like a melted candle. And it's like I kind of understand that, but also he is so beautiful in such a striking way that. Like yes, he looks a little bit like a melted candle, but he is beautiful. Mm. A beautiful melted candle. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not mutually exclusive, I guess. You, exactly. You can, you can be, but can be both. Um, Absolutely. And the way he says "forgive me" all the time, gorgeous. He's always running off. He's always exiting scenes in the film, going "forgive me," and gets on a horse and rides to London, or you know, bows his head and departs and. It's just gorgeous. It's all we want. It's all we want from a man to just beg for forgiveness and then disappear romantically with a big cloak and a horse. Lovely. <laughs> That's very true, actually. That's <laughs> remarkably accurate. Choose um, him over Willoughby any day, even though Greg Wise was very hot in this film. He is, but he's a cad. And yeah, uh, we don't like cads here. We no. don't like mm-hmm. cads. No. no, no, too many cads in in Austin. But thankfully, they all get weeded out in the end thank goodness as far as we know we always end before <laughs> we fight we find out what what married life is is really like for our beloved heroines very true um, that's what the fan fiction is for <laughs> i suppose that yes exactly and that's when the fantasy ends i suppose you know it would be a bit dull if they just we just sort of saw them doing wifely duties about pemberley or whatever i don't know absolutely thank you so much laura this has been oh this has been so much fun i've loved it please do send me jane austen the masturbating girl i have to read that i've never heard of it i would love to read it 
out my street, obviously. <laughs> if you've got an idea for an article or a podcast, you can contact me via Twitter. My handle is at Lil Croft, with three L's in Lil, which is where I'll be posting about new writing and episodes. Do also get in touch if you fancy appearing as a guest and have a film you'd love to discuss with me. The Listen to Lillian podcast is available via the blog and all the usual channels, including Spotify and Apple, so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening and toodle pip! Bye.